And we're back. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Minnesota Cheese Fan Podcast, Episode 2. I can't believe you're here again. I am just incredibly honored that you would be willing to listen to me drone on about football for an indeterminate amount of time. That's awesome. So uh, those of you who haven't listened or didn't hear our pilot episode, I am Minnesota Chiefs fan, or you can you know call me Seth, my actual name. That would be sweet. Uh, I write for Arrowhead Pride, and I love to watch Chiefs film. I love to talk Chiefs. Basically, anything involving the Chiefs, I'm very pro on. Um, we're creating this podcast as an Arrowhead Pride production. Its sole purpose is to analyze Chiefs film, um, look at questions in depth regarding the Chiefs, and maybe every now and then get a little silly and have some fun. We'll see what happens. Um, my main purpose in providing this is to try to get just a little bit deeper than you might get anywhere else. A big part of what I do at Arrowhead Pride is reviewing film, all 22 films specifically, and seeing how much I can learn that people are missing when they watch the broadcast and write about it. Um, And I want to bring some of that here and try to take some of the hours that I put in watching film and be able to talk about it in a space that maybe is a little more efficient than my giant 4,000-word columns. It's also be a good place for me to answer mailbag questions and uh, communicate with you guys a little more quickly in that way, too. I'm really excited about this. Um, This is, like I said, this is our second episode. Our production value is not high, but... Hopefully you'll forgive that, and maybe that's something I'll improve at as we go along. Maybe at some point I'll even have intro music or music between segments, but let's not get greedy. For now, let's just talk Chiefs. I'm just, again, so excited to be doing this. Uh, Right now, I'm currently working on an article about Tom Bahali. I was going to be writing about Chris Conley, but life comes at you fast, and next thing you know, you've watched three Tom Bahali games, and so you just keep going. You know how that goes. Um, Or maybe you don't because you're normal, unlike me, but that's how it goes for me. Um, I really wanted to look into Tomba's film because I've heard a lot about how much he dropped off last year, and I've heard a lot of people concerned about what he can bring to the table next year. I will say after watching five of his games on All-22, which has a really great Madden cam view that really gives you good perspective of offensive linemen and pass rushers and defensive linemen, um, I will say watching Tamba's 2016 film isn't necessarily fun. And the reason for that isn't because he's bad. He is certainly not bad. He's still a solid player. He still had a lot of really productive moments. He's he's decent against the run. He sets the edge well. He's able to apply pressure to quarterbacks. He's able to win at a decent rate rushing the passer. The reason it's maybe not fun, at least for me, when you're a fan of Tom Bali's, is it, it looks painful. You You can almost feel his knees in some of those snaps. And especially in between the snaps. I don't know if you remember, if you ever watched Willie Rofe play, it always seemed like between every snap, like it was just painful for him to get around. And you can almost see that with Holly now. The effort is there, but he's just a half step slower. Um, he's just a half step, a little less quick. And when you're a guy like Holly that never really had a lot of explosion in the first place, you know, that takes a toll. And I think we might be starting to see. Holly really on his last legs, which I don't think is a big secret to anyone. 
But what I've done is I'm kind of quantifying the wins and the losses and kind of quantifying the pressures that he had. And I want to do a real in-depth look at a guy who is one of my favorite all-time Chiefs. Um, he's a technician. He's so much fun to watch. But I think it's time for us to really appreciate him while we have him. You can see watching him play why the Chiefs had him as a part-time guy. Because at this point, I, I very much believe football is painful for him at this point. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see where he goes moving forward. I, I would anticipate seeing more of the same from him this next year, being on a snap count. I think some of it's going to depend on what D4 does. But that's something to look forward to on Arrowhead Pride in the very near future. And on that note, I wanted to add in, for those of you who read my articles on Arrowhead Pride, which I assume most of you do, I can't imagine why else you'd be listening to me here, um, I don't plan on being someone who starts doing podcasts and then slows down writing output. I still plan on writing a couple articles a week. Um, I still plan on writing in-depth film reviews, all that kind of stuff. This is just an, an extra, an addition to. I have no intention of becoming a podcaster. I'm much more comfortable writing than I am talking. So don't worry about me suddenly not putting out new articles or having just all the best content here. I very much don't intend for that to be the case. And so um, look for that Tomahali piece. It should be coming out in the next few days here. Uh, in the meantime, today I want to talk, among a few other things, um, I want to talk about one of my favorite topics, offensive line. Um, I actually started off doing film reviews on offensive linemen for a variety of reasons. One of it is just it's so important. And as Chiefs fans, we understand that intuitively. Offensive line is, is so important to the success of an offense and can be so integral in the failure of an offense because we've seen what an elite offensive line and blockers can do. In 2002 through 2004 or five or so, we saw what having an elite offensive line can do for a decent group of skill position players. It can create one of the best offenses in the history of the league. Um, that Those offensive linemen with, with Rofe and Waters and Wigman and Shields and Tate for a while and then kind of a rotating cast of right tackles, they were so good and so dominant. And so unbelievable to watch. Um, we 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 firsthand have seen better blocking than the vast majority of other fan bases, in my opinion. That group of blockers, especially when you throw in Richardson and uh, Jason Dunn, I think it's the best group of blockers that's ever been assembled. And fortunately for me, no one can ever prove me wrong, so I'm going to hang on to that opinion. So you know that offensive line is important. Another reason I like studying offensive line and writing about offensive line is because it's tough to get information as a common fan about offensive line. There's no real stats to track other than maybe sacks given up, and everyone knows that's not really telling you the whole picture there. And so other than your eye test as you watch a game, and let's face it, most of us are watching the ball. And I mean, I am. When I watch the game for fun the first time around, I'm just watching the ball. I'm watching the game. It's tough to keep your eye on a single offensive lineman, and unless you do the whole game, you're not going to know how that guy played. And let's face it, most of us don't do that. Why would you do that unless you're related to the guy or something? And so by, by writing about offensive linemen and studying them and watching them on the Madden cam view, I'm able to maybe provide a little information that you can't get elsewhere. And 
I, as weird as it may sound, very few things make me happier when I'm able to provide nuggets of information that you can't find anywhere else. I have this sickness that that just brings me this insane amount of, of, of happiness. It's a weird problem to have, and I should probably seek counseling, but instead, I'm going to do podcasts. So that's, you know, a good step, maybe. Anyway, one thing to keep in mind when you're talking about offensive linemen is you've got to separate overall offensive success from what an individual offensive line is doing. Just because you've got an an offense that's putting up a lot of points doesn't mean an individual lineman is playing well. You always need to separate the success of a play from the success of the lineman. Um, And and to do that, what I do, and this is based on some things I've seen some other people do and I've added my own tweaks, I track wins, losses, and neutral plays. And all of them are really what they sound like. A win is not necessarily a win for the team. It could be a play that, you know, the running back is tackled for a loss, but the left guard pulled around and just laid out an incoming linebacker, did his job perfectly. That's a win for the lineman, even though the play was unsuccessful. And now not every win is going to be a pancake block. You know, a win is, you know, holding the pass rusher at bay and keeping the quarterback comfortable. A win is sealing off the defensive tackle and giving your running back a lane to go through. A win is recognizing a stunt coming and just walling off. You don't need to push the guy back 10 feet, just walling off, keeping your quarterback clean. Those are wins. A loss, as you might imagine, pretty much the opposite of a win. You get beat around the edge. That's a loss. Even if the quarterback steps into the pocket and makes a good play, that's still a loss by the lineman. And again, always, always, always with individual film review, and this is so important, and I think a lot of people fail to to do this, separate the result of the play from what the individual player did. Because you really have to isolate it, otherwise you're mixing up overall team success with individual success. And that's a mistake if you're trying to gauge how good an individual player is. And so a loss can be anything, you know, maybe a failed cut block or getting to the second level and just completely whiffing on a secondary player. And it's important to not confuse necessarily a loss with an an opposing player making a great play. Now, usually the two go hand in hand, but every now and then, some defensive player will do something where I just say, you know, you know, like let's say you've got uh, Mitch Morse 30 yards down the field and he's trying to block a safety in space. If he gets in the way a little and slows him down a bit, but not too much because a safety is, you know, 100 pounds lighter and much quicker, I might not assign him a loss there. Instead, what I might assign him is a neutral play. And those are usually the most common plays. That's where you didn't have the offensive lineman clearly win, but he also didn't clearly lose. He he was able to do a little something. And neutral plays, you can build an offense around neutral plays. Um, if your entire offensive line has a neutral snap on any given snap, you're probably going to be okay. You know, it might not be a great snap, but, you know, you, you should be all right. So... The, the important thing to keep in mind here, again, separate the individual from the team's success. You track the wins, losses, and neutrals. And one more type of neutral play that I should probably talk about is on some plays, an offensive lineman just doesn't have much to do. For example, when Travis Kelsey took that uh, quick kind of bubble screen type play for 70 yards against Denver, there were some players like uh, Schwartz, 
uh, got out in space and helped block on the right side there. But Eric Fisher really had very little to do on that play. The ball was snapped, the throw was made instantly, and everyone was all the way across the field before he really had time to do much. Now, Fisher, because he seems to love playing in space, still sprinted down the field and did everything he could. Made a, Actually, made a nice hustle play there. But... Some plays is just going to be neutral where a lineman just doesn't have much to do. Um, that same could be said, for example, if a opposing defense only rushes three players and you've got a right guard standing there with just no one to help with. Everyone's too far away for him to even help. He might just end up kind of standing there. and Maybe he'll help out if someone cuts inside, but I can't call that a win. But I'm certainly not going to call it a loss. So that's a neutral type play. So... That's a general idea of grading. Another thing to keep in mind when you grade offensive linemen, at least what I keep in mind, is there's no one trait that I'm looking for that is like a must to be a good offensive lineman. It could be a variety of traits. Um, Sometimes you got guys that are just wildly successful because they're so physically talented. And it just doesn't matter really what they do with pad level or footwork or any of that stuff. They're just so big, so strong, or so fast, or they just have some dominating physical characteristics that really shine through. Other guys are more technicians, where you see their hand placement is just incredible, or they're so crafty getting away with holding. And there are some linemen that are really good at that, and that's how they win. Or maybe they their their footwork is just so exceptional that they can never get rocked off their base, et cetera, et cetera. Tech, those types of technique traits and physical traits, they all kind of blend together for me. I kind of look at everything because almost every offensive lineman is going to have strengths and weaknesses. You're not going to have very many perfect linemen. Joe Thomas comes close. There's very... Well, there's nothing he doesn't do well. But most linemen are going to have certain strengths and certain weaknesses, and a lot of their time is spent trying to minimize those weaknesses and maximize those strengths. And so what I do when I'm watching offensive linemen, I, I yes, I chart their wins, losses, and neutrals, and then I ask myself, why? Why did he win on that play? Why did he lose on that play? How often is he losing that way? Um, if he got beat, let's say it's a you know it's Eric Fisher I'm looking at, and he got beat with a speed rush around the outside. I ask myself, is he getting beat like that a lot? Why? Is his footwork slow? Is he catching instead of punching? What's the what's the issue here? Why did he lose, and how often is it happening like that? And so then you can take another level from those deep stats and those wins, losses, and neutrals, and get into the why it's happening. And when you start figuring out the why, that's when you're into the film review portion. What does this guy do well? What does this guy not do well? Um, the, the things that he doesn't do well, does he occasionally flash the ability to do better? And you can try to work your way towards a projection of what you can expect from that player in the future. Is it a perfect system? Of course not. Because, let's face it, NFL coaches get player evaluation wrong all the time. All the time. So an amateur like me, I'm going to get it wrong even more. And so you just do the best you can. You gather all the information and you say, this is what I think of this player. An example of when I got it wrong would be LDT, who just got signed to a big contract. I reviewed a ton of his snaps after the 2015 season, and I 
I blasted him a little bit in a very long column, just writing about his weaknesses. He showed poor bounce. He lunged way too often. His his footwork was terrible. His hand placement was bad. He he got caught leaning and lunging and was taken off his feet more so than any lineman that I'd ever watched. And I wrote that, you know, sure, he maybe could improve on all these things, but it seems doubtful. And at this point, yeah, he's, he's big and he's strong and he's fast. But at this point, he's not even an average offensive lineman, and he doesn't look to me like a guy who can develop into one because so many of his technique traits seemed so flawed. Well, then in 2016, I reviewed his film, and all the things that I had criticized, he'd improved on. It was kind of a rare case. You don't often see a player really improve that much from one year to the next. And so that's just a good example of how I get it wrong all the time, which, you know, half of you are probably going to turn this off upon me saying that. So maybe that was a mistake, but we can move on quickly here. Um, you know, if, if you didn't realize how fallible I am, you have not been reading my stuff very on. There was a time when I really wanted the Chiefs to put in Cyrus Gray. All right. And that actually seemed to torpedo his career, but I digress there. So talking about traits for offensive linemen brings me to one of my very favorite topics, even more so than individual offensive linemen. I want to spend a little time. Let's talk about Mitch Morse. Or as I call him on Twitter, you know, Mitch Morse. He is actually, when I attend Arrowhead games, I, if the offense is introduced, he is the one player whose name that I scream. It freaks out the people around me usually because you don't see people doing that with a center very often. But Morse is hands down one of my very favorite players on the Chiefs. I have a bit of an obsession to be honest, it, it's creepy, but, you know, what are you going to do? I'm, he chose this life, and he knew he would get stalkers, so he probably just didn't anticipate one of them being a quarter Japanese lawyer, attorney, pastor, sports analyst type guy. But that's his problem, not mine. My point, I love Mitch Morse. And the reason for that is the combination of traits that he has. Well, among other reasons. But talking about his traits... Morse is not, he's a very athletic guy, but he's not super imposing physically. He's not really that strong. I'd say he maybe has average strength for the position, if that. However, despite that, even though some real powerful players give him trouble, it's really not as big a weakness as often as you would think because his technique is so sound. His footwork is almost always perfect. His base is almost always set perfectly. He, 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 keeps his, he keeps his legs shoulder length apart. He doesn't allow himself to be rocked because he maintains such a solid base. When he punches, he keeps his, he keeps his back straight. He doesn't overreach. He doesn't lunge. But he still has a powerful punch because he places his hands exactly where they need to be. He keeps a good low pad level. He does everything right. And it's so much fun to watch because on a lot of his snaps, you really could just record it, send it to a high school football camp and say that right there, that is how you were supposed to play center. And so I love watching that because you could almost call him an overachiever based on what he can do physically, at least from a strength standpoint. Although considering he's you know still a very young player, I wouldn't be surprised if he continued to get stronger. Most pro players, they get stronger their first few years in the league, just like the rest of us. Think about how strong you were at 20, and then think about 25. It's usually not very close. So 
I anticipate that he'll continue to get a little better in that aspect of his game, but really, he's not a power guy. That's just not him. One area he is gifted, though, is athleticism. People love to rave about LDT's athleticism, and in part, I can understand why they do. Um, But really, Morse, other than maybe Fisher, is the guy who gets out in space the best for the Chiefs. He is just I mean, I remember watching his film from from last season or from 2015 season. Um, I was directed to watch a few snaps by people who know me and knew what I was doing. And one of the first snaps that I reviewed, he really did get literally 30 yards downfield to lay a block on a safety on a run that had gone to the right side. And it was a gorgeous thing to watch because he didn't quite outrun the running back there because the back in the meantime had to make some moves, but it was close. And it is so cool to see a guy who moves so well in space because that just opens up a whole nother realm of the offense that they can accomplish because they know that no matter how far they need Mitch Morse to go, he'll get there. And it's such a cool thing to watch. He, um, So those are two things that really stick out to me when I watch his film that make me just enjoy watching him. He's someone that I'm definitely going to be writing a column about this year. Um, I'm not sure whether he improved a great deal from the year before. I I, th- I think he might have a little. He, he was so much better than we anticipated him being. I think the hope was that in 2016 he'd be dominant. I don't think he was quite there, but he is an up-and-comer, and he's just been continually impressive. Another interesting thing about Morse and this is, again, I keep saying this is one of my favorite things about him. Everything's one of my favorite things about Morse. I'm his stalker. That's how that works. But I love what a great helper he is. And, you know, I, I think you probably know intuitively what I'm talking about when I say helper, but you've probably heard analysts say something about staying busy in pass protection. When you're an interior lineman, a guard or a center, you might be left without you might be left uncovered or you might be left without a defender to block directly fairly frequently um it and teams tend to scheme it to try to have their worst pass blocker left in the helper role or in the role to stay busy but it's quite often centers just because of where defensive linemen end up going they 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 try to go around the edge they try to go through the guards they try to go through certain gaps and your center often ends up standing straight up and no one rushing directly at him. And so that's when it becomes their job to stay busy, find work, keep your head on a swivel, see who needs help, get there on time and help. And it's such an important trait. And it's one that, interestingly enough, not a ton of interior linemen, in my opinion, do it really well. I mean, really well, because it's one thing to you see that a, a, a guard needs a little bit of help and, you know, you get an arm in there, or you kind of move your body in the way a little bit. That's one thing. It's another thing to see that you've got a defensive tackle starting to move just a little bit towards you and just laying him out while he's engaged with the guard. And Mitch Morse does the second. He does the latter. He is so good at seeing when to hit and just lay guys out while they're engaged elsewhere. He's also extremely quick laterally, and so he's able to help in a much wider radius than a lot of other centers or interior linemen in general can help. He is very, very intuitive at picking up who needs help the most. 
when you think about it, that might seem easy with our, you know, eye in the sky view. But think about just what a split second that decision that is when you're looked up, you see you don't have anyone on you, you look up you even farther, you check out the defense, there's no blitzes coming, and then you look to your left and your right, and you've got to decide, who am I going to help? Who am I going to help? And that's such a split second thing because in the NFL, if you wait a half second too long, that that's that's death. That's that that's failure. Because defenders are too quick, they're too fast, they beat linemen way too quickly. It's an almost impossible job asking these guys to stop 300-pound men from trying to kill their quarterback. And so it's it's an underrated skill to quickly make a decision and then commit and get there on time and do it very well. And Mitch is just fantastic at that. And it makes the entire rest of the line look better than what they actually are at times because he's so competent and so capable of providing help. Um, you combine all those things, and that's why he's one of my very favorite players. He just he, he, he knows how the position is supposed to be played, and he does everything from a mental aspect extremely well. Um, might have struggled a little bit with stunts his first year, and even at times actually working in tandem with LDT last year. I would chalk that up with being unfamiliar with who you're working next to. They really tightened it up as the year went along, so that was a really positive development because stunts – killed them for a while, particularly in 2015. A final reason why I just think Mitch Morse is the greatest, and you know, hey, I make no bones about it. This is a love fest for Mitch Morse. I don't know where else you're going to find that anywhere. Um, his, his, his ability was so unexpected for me. Now, some of you, considering that, you know, where a lot of Chiefs fans hail from are probably Missouri fans, and I had a few of you tell me via the comment section of Arrowhead Pride or on Twitter after the Chiefs drafted him because my response was, who? Now, to be fair, I don't follow college football very closely, but I had no idea who this guy really was. And so I was kind of discouraged because, you know, in the draft, we care a lot more about whether we recognize the name than whether the guy can play. But I had a few Missouri fans tell me, you know, I think he'll be pretty good. He uh, he played all around the offensive line. He, he did a good job at no matter where he went. He can play. But a lot of people were pretty frustrated by that pick. And it's always just such an awesome surprise when you've got a player that unexpectedly outperforms what anyone thought he could do. And he did it right away. You know, I thought the Chiefs were crazy letting Rodney Hudson walk. And I don't think Morse is on Hudson's level, but I do think he's not too far off and for a fraction of the price. And that's so cool to see when it's just this unexpected bonus when you got a guy who can step in as a rookie and play very, very well at a tough position. And so you, you throw all those together. That's the reason why I just, you, you're going to see me constantly anytime he's mentioned. It's not Mitch Morse. It is Mitch Morse because he is that good. I appreciate his game that much. Anyone who just does everything right and has outperformed all expectations, and that's a guy who's okay in my book. Now that we've gotten a little bit of offensive line talk, and the uh, Mitch Morse love fest out of the way. One thing that I want to do every every podcast that we have is take a look at a few questions you guys have and try to answer them within the best of my ability. Um, I'm rarely going to be able to get to all the questions, but one thing I can promise you, if you did ask me a question and you don't hear it, it very likely means that I saved it on a separate Word doc and I'm going to use it another time. 
or it means your question was bad and you should feel bad. Definitely one of the two. I wish I could tell you which, but, you know, a little bit of mystery there. It will only make you do better next time. The first question I've got is from a William Barnett, who is at Whiskey Bravo 85 and I've known Will for quite some time via Twitter and Arrowhead Pride. And he asked me, can uh, Tano Passignon shock everyone and start this year? And he's wondering if we could have like a Passignon, uh, Logan, Jones starting lineup. You know, Passignon's film is really tough to review because he was playing really bad competition in college. And so it's almost impossible to say, oh yeah, this is definitely what he can do. Because like I said, when I watch players, and this isn't just offensive linemen, when I watch defensive linemen or any player, I'm looking for traits. Well, part of the problem when you're watching them against extremely inferior competition is it's tough to know, man, was his first step really that good? Or was that tackle's kick slide just that bad? That's a problem you have with passing on's film because the quality of competition he faced was just so terrible. And so, I mean, I I really, I, yeah, I I feel terrible saying this about these poor guys who are better at football than I am at virtually anything. But when you compare him to the competition he's going to be facing in the pros, it's so far off. What gives me hope with passing on is the senior bowl. And I very much think the Senior Bowl is where he caught the Chiefs eye. Um, I know he had some hype just because he's clearly a physical freak. I mean, he looks like he is chiseled out of stone. It's ridiculous. Um, But no one really knew if he could play. Well, then he went to the Senior Bowl, and he ended up going up against future, maybe not, well, a few of them were early draft picks. But, you know, you also had guys who got drafted in the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds who played in the Senior Bowl. So they're good college players. So the jump in competition was incredible. And what was really encouraging for me is that he went in there and if you rewatch the Senior Bowl, which is what I did when I wrote about him, if you take a look in Arrowhead Pride archives, you'll find the article I wrote on that. He didn't just hold his own. He looked like one of the best defensive players on the field. And that's incredibly encouraging because you got a guy whose level of coaching, level of weight training, level of everything was so much lower at the school he was at than the quality competition he was facing, generally speaking. And he went out and didn't quite, I wouldn't say dominated, but he played extremely well. He had a ton of wins as a pass rusher. He set the edge extremely well as a run defender, which I think is something to really look into whether or not they're going to, I assume they're going to use him as a defensive end, but I wonder if at times they might rotate him out to be kind of a giant edge because in certain situations you need a guy who's 290, 300 pounds on the edge there because one of the problems that say like a D Ford has had is setting that edge against runs to the outside. Well, Passignon has these incredibly long, very powerful arms. And with that, he is able to really set the edge well and really prevent um, uh, tackles or tight ends from turning him inside so runners can get to the sideline. It's a really valuable skill he's got to redirect guys. Um, so that, that senior bowl performance, it made me think twice at least as to whether or not he could perform more quickly than we're expecting. Because when they took passing on, everyone said, okay, he's a project. We'll file him away and we'll see what he does in 2018. 
But when you watch the Senior Bowl, you don't see a guy who has no shot at performing well in 2017. With guys like him, you just don't know until you really get them in camp, in pads, and going up against starting offensive linemen. You don't know how quick they're going to respond to training. You know, LDT came from, well, he was a much worse situation than passing young man with regards to schooling and training, but it took him a couple years to really develop the things he needed to develop. Passing young he could develop significantly quicker. We just don't know. He absolutely has the physical traits to be exceptional. He's got a pretty good first step for a guy his size. He actually has a little bend around the edge, which surprised me because he's like 6'7", 290. Um, he obviously has a ton of strength. And that length that he has, when he actually uses that length effectively and strikes first on offensive linemen, they have a really tough time with him because he's able to just hold them off him while he looks to get around them to go after the the passer or in looking around to see where the runner's going. And so it would not completely shock me if Passignon was ready to contribute sooner than we're thinking. However, the idea of him starting as a defensive end in the in their their base 34, which it's important to keep in mind, the Chiefs don't play in their base 34 more than I wouldn't even say half the snaps at this point, especially last year due to injury. More often they end up switching to a couple of defensive linemen inside and then you've got two guys on the edge sometime with their hands in the dirt, sometimes standing up. And so what I think you'll probably see, and well, you know, it all depends on what he does in training camp. I think he's got a possibility of contributing as kind of a big edge on pass rushing downs, depending on how well D Ford plays and how well Justin, or not how well Justin Houston plays, but how healthy he is, because he might be a guy that you see in there every now and then. Um, his best pass rushes in college weren't on the inside; they were on the edge, and so that's what makes me think he'd be more likely to do work there. The thing that's stopping him from competing to be a defensive end and really have a shot at starting, in my opinion, isn't just his own lack of experience, but it's the only guy on the team who's arguably more of a physical freak than he is in Alan Bailey. Um, Bailey is kind of going to be an unsung guy coming back this year. Um, but it's important to remember he had developed into a solid defensive lineman before he got hurt last year, particularly against the run. And again, he's the only guy on the team who's just as much a physical freak as passing young, at least with regards to being a big, strong guy. He is the Hulk. He really is. He's just that huge. And he plays like it against the run. He's extremely tough to move. Now, he's not much of a pass rusher, and so that could maybe get the coaches wanting to move him. But in that base package, I think they're going to value what Bailey brings to the table because they've already got a pass rusher opposite him in Chris Jones. Bailey being back is one of the reasons I have some hope for the run defense this year. So it would really surprise me if Passignon was able to become a starter. Um barring him completely blowing everyone away, and I mean just far exceeding expectations, I think he's just he's got a decent guy to beat out there, and I just don't think it'll be enough. Um, another question I had here from a uh, Frank Manning, at FrankMan81, uh, he asked, what would you consider a good year for D Ford to make 
you comfortable saying he was a good pick by Dorsey? I don't know if I am exceptionally fond of the way that's that that the way that frames the question because I think when you look at D Ford's career and you look at the need the Chiefs thought they had at the time, I think it was a good pick. Um, Ford has been a little slower in developing than a lot of people liked. It, this is going to be a really interesting season for him because last year when he was on the left side and before he got hurt, and we'll return to that in a second, he was finally fulfilling the dream we'd all had for him as a pass rusher. He was getting to the quarterbacks quickly. He was getting to the quarterbacks often. He was right up there in in sacks. I think he was leading the league in sacks for a while, actually, if I recall. And I don't think. I know he was. Then down the stretch, he two things happened. One, Justin Houston returned from injury, and Ford got shifted to the right side. And two, and much more importantly in my opinion, Ford injured his hamstring. Now, I don't know how many of you have struggled with a bad hamstring or really any kind of leg injury, lower body injury. Even when you're quote-unquote healthy, usually until a lot of time has gone by, you're not quite you, especially with a hamstring. And so, yes, he returned to action, but he did seem to lack a little bit of his explosiveness. And the thing with D Ford, he's always going to depend on his explosiveness more so than like a Justin Houston because Houston isn't just explosive. He's incredibly strong. He's got a really good variety of pass rush moves. Ford, what Ford has going for him is that incredible first step. He doesn't have bend like Vaughn Miller or Derek Thomas around the edge. He has got to get a huge advantage in that first step in order to get around the edge. And if he doesn't have that same burst, if he's just, you know, a quarter of a second slower, it's not going to happen for him. So I know a lot of people feel like, oh, Ford switched to the right side, and now he's useless over there. Um, I saw some quotes from him when he was talking about what he wants to do this year, and he talked about the fact that he wasn't healthy last year. And so I think people really underestimate how much damage that did to him. Now, at the same time, it took D a few years to develop as a pass rusher on the left side. And there are, it's just a different way of moving, brushing from the left and rushing from the right. You, 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 you're doing everything like a mirror, and that's not as easy as it sounds. And because Ford lacks elite bend, you know, the ability to kind of, you know, ankle flexibility and the balance to dip low, dip your shoulder around the edge. Again, think of Derek Thomas and some of his sacks. I mean, the man was like 45 degree angle and still running full speed. That allows you to twist around the tackle. And, or, you know, bend around the edge and uh, get to the quarterback more quickly. Ford can't really do that. And so what he did from the left side last year to compensate, for one, he had that incredible first step. For two, he improved his hand fighting to keep the tackle's hands off him, to keep them from pushing him wide, because that's what they'd done his whole career. Sure, he had that great first step, but he was so upright, they just kept shoving him wide, snap after snap after snap. Well, what he'd learned to do was use his right arm and then bounce himself because he'd won the hand fighting battle. He would use his right arm to bounce himself on the tackle and use that to get a little lean and help him to twist around the edge faster. I talked to a few guys that I trust as analysts who know pass rushing better than me and asked if that's a common move. And they said, for some guys it is. It's, it's a veteran savvy thing. Use the offensive tackle 
to bounce yourself as you get around the edge quickly. So Ford learned to do that. He also had learned that double-handed downward swipe that Holly and Houston used so effectively. Now, the point of all this is to say that he'd finally started developing some variety in his pass rush. And the concern, I think, is whether or not he's got that from the right side. I think he will. Personally, um, you don't improve as much as he did from the left side without putting in a ton of work. And I assume he's going into this season knowing, man, Justin Houston's back. If I want to see the field, because I know people talk about switching Justin Houston from the left, but why do you switch one of the best five defensive players in the NFL? Just don't do it. Just don't do it. And I think Houston, or I think Ford's got to realize that they're not going to move him. So I got to perform if I want to see the field. And if I want to get a big contract, because he's got his chance. Hully really does look to be on his last legs, even though he's still productive. And if Ford can get to the quarterback at a solid rate from the right side of the defense, he's going to get paid. Pass rushers get paid. Even guys who like Ford are not good against the run. Now, a quick thing to note about Ford's run defense, one thing I saw last year that he improved on, he's locating the ball a lot faster. And so when he's got situations where he's not being run directly at, he's improved at getting down the line and making tackles. And he actually had a few tackles for loss that way. He's also gotten a little better at shooting gaps and ducking around blockers. But at the end of the day, he's still not strong at the point of attack. And that's why against the run, I definitely prefer Hully to him and then obviously Justin Houston's in his own time zone as a run defender so all that's a long road to a short thought talking about D Ford I think it was a good pick I think Ford has developed into a decent player who's a good pass rusher with some limitations now what we will have to see what 2017 brings it wouldn't surprise me if Ford struggled a little from the right side, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he came out and performed at a really high level because I think he's motivated, and I think now he just knows for sure this is where he's going to have to be. And we've already seen he knows how to improve because he's done that. So I have some I have some, some high hopes for Ford this year. He's demonstrated enough to tell me that he seems like a guy who might really, really perform in a contract season. Um, the next question I've got here, we'll take a few more, I think. We've got a little time. It was from a Rye, which is at Sirica12. I'm sorry, I butcher pronunciation. Y'all will get used to it. Um, he asked, how many current linemen crack the starting lineup in the 2003 Chiefs offensive line? Um I thought about this for a long time. Left tackle's out. You're not replacing Willie Rove. You're just not. Left guard's out. Brian Waters was a stud. Right guard's obviously out. That's Will Shields. Um, the only two possibilities are center and right tackle. Um, and here's the thing. Casey Wiegman was an exceptional center. He was a bit undersized, but he was exceptional. And by bit undersized, I mean like he was like 20 pounds lighter than Morse, who I call undersized. He was an exceptional center, wonderful getting out into space. Actually, in a lot of ways, kind of similar to Morse. He was a technician, he was cerebral, he was fast, and he helped very well down the line. Um, but he was just very, very, very good. And I'm not sure if Morse is quite to that level yet. I think Morse would have a shot, but at the end of the day, I think you end up going with Wiegman just because I think Wiegman, as far as I could tell, is just a little bit superior 
dealing with stunts and twists and various blitzes and all that stuff. He he was kind of the glue guy. And I, I just think it's tough to unseat him. And then you got right tackle, where, you know what? John Tate was a solid right tackle. Um, you know, a more powerful player than Schwartz is. At the same time, I think Schwartz is a superior pass blocker. And I think Schwartz is a very good run blocker as well. He's more of a technician than Tate. And I think he's more consistent than Tate was. And so I think right tackle is the only one where I think it's more likely than not that a current starter gets on there. And that's no insult to the current iteration of the offensive line. It's just, it is what it is. That offensive line was so, so, so good. It's just almost impossible to, it's almost impossible to unseat one of them. I think we may have time for one more question. I was asked by a uh, chance hog or at old geezer, which, hey, you know what? If you're old and a geezer, it's best to just admit it up front. Do you think Mahomes will take the QB2 spot this year? Um, I actually plan on having a podcast that I dedicate exclusively to Patrick Mahomes and talking a little bit about his film, etc. We've talked about him quite a bit. Yes, I do. I think he takes the QB2 spot this year. I think he takes it pretty early. Um, Part of that is I just don't have a lot of confidence in Tyler Bray. And part of that is I just don't think they would want to bury him on the depth chart. I just don't see them doing that with Mahomes, with a guy that they clearly plan to put so much work in. Now, to be fair, I have a higher opinion of Mahomes than some. Uh, I fell in love with his film well before I thought there was a possibility that the Chiefs actually take him. And so I have faith in him to learn the offense quickly, at least as well as he needs to, to lock down that QB2 spot. And so he, it just would, it would actually surprise me if he didn't. Uh, let's see. Let's see. One more. Ah, two more questions. Uh, the this is from a spaceman at. Oh man, this is like a French-looking name. Come on, at Corveu, John. Yeah, sure. Close enough. Who is your pick to be a surprise impact player this year? I think as the closer, I think the closer we get to the season, the less of a surprise it is to people, and more and more people are starting to say him. But I think Kareem Hunt is going to do some good things. If you haven't watched any of his his film on draft breakdown, go watch him. He is a powerful runner, hard to tackle, good vision, decent quickness. Um, he's got some receiving skills. He is just and he he just always gets an extra 2 or 3 yards every time he touches the ball, more than you'd expect him to get. He runs with an attitude. I think he's a guy that is going to push for a lot of snaps pretty quickly. Now, I think Spencer Ware is an extremely talented back, but He's had some issues uh, getting nicked up, and it seems to have affected his efficacy down the line there. And so I would definitely, uh, I would definitely say Hunt has a real chance of taking a lot of snaps and making quite the impact. Last question is from an AJ Burns at a Burnsy29. He asks if DJ goes down again, who takes his spot? I think it's Rameek Wilson again, and I think the run defense is. Not completely hosed, but close to it. DJ's that important to the defense. So hopefully he stays healthy, has a great year. You know, 
we'll see what happens. And if he went down, I'm sure Bob Sutton would find a way to compensate at least a little bit, but he really is that important. Um, Rameek Wilson showed some improvement down the stretch last year, but again, you just, you can't replace Derek Johnson. You can't. I remember trying to will it to be last year and trying to convince myself it would be okay. And then the chiefs ended up giving up a full yard per carry more without him than they did with him. I actually wrote on this, um, in an Arrowhead Pride mailbag. And I just wrote about the fact that with DJ last year, the Chiefs gave up about a league average yard per carry. It was around 4.1 yards per carry. Without him, they gave up well over five yards per carry. Worst in the league. And, you know, part of that was missing guys on the front seven, as well as DJ. But the long story short is that Derek Johnson is uniquely gifted and one of the best run defenders in the league. There's just no replacing that if he goes down. So, you know, wherever you are, knock on some wood or cross your fingers or, I don't know, grab a four-leaf clover or whatever it is you do for luck, and let's all hope that DJ stays healthy this next year, along with Justin Houston while we're at it. Well, I'll tell you what, it looks like we're coming up on almost 50 minutes here. I'm going to call it a good day here. This would be the time where if we had higher production value, I would play some kind of music for you or something. But you know what? You're just maybe being a little spoiled if that you want that much from me. I'll learn how to do that eventually. Given how long it took me to join Twitter, I'm thinking in like three years or so. But in the meantime, this has been a blast, and we will have another one of these soon. So make sure if you, uh, if you don't already... Um, you can follow me at real MN chiefs fans, send me questions for the podcast and hope to talk to you soon.